All right. So we're doing things a little different this morning. It's our anniversary, <clears throat> our anniversary potluck. Right? Our seventh, uh, hey, where's my thing? Our seventh anniversary. Seven years since August 2015 that a group of us started meeting back at the Starbucks in Snohomish, huddled around that outdoor fireplace. Uh, and started praying about the next steps that we would take in planning the church. I mean, who was there? It was you and Peter and me, Jesse, Brad, Gage. Um, was Stephen there? I can't remember. Maybe sometimes, not all the time. Anyway, and then from there we went to the Bridge Church, to the, one of the children's ministry rooms that they gave us, was that Thursday nights that we got that? Yeah, that, uh, that was November 2015 where we started doing a Bible study and we started going, we went through the book of uh, Ephesians. And, uh, and then in May of 2016, we moved to Clearview Foursquare, which is now known as the View Church. And they let us rent their uh, facility Sunday evenings and we stayed there through the end of that year. And we went through uh, book Hebrews uh, that year. So it's been an interesting ride. We started here January 2017 at the Grange. And does anybody remember what book we started January of 2017? No. You shouldn't know this. It's only like, what, six and a half years ago? <laughs> six years ago. You shouldn't have forgotten, right? <laughs> anyway, it was the Gospel of Mark. It was the Gospel of Mark. It was this verse right here that's up there. That's Luke chapter 5, verse 4, which is the verse that the Lord gave me for us to plant the church. And it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It was about going out into deeper waters. And uh, we're still doing that today. Still going out in the deeper waters, still trusting in the Lord and doing things that uh, seem somewhat impossible for the most part. Uh, if you understood my proclivities and my fears and uh, things that do not come natural to me, such as standing up here and speaking, and how crowds of people make me nervous and... And all the things that uh, would, you would think would normally uh, make me run out the door and hide. <clears throat> but yeah, here I am. And it has nothing to do with me. And it has everything to do with the Lord. And by the grace of God, we're still going. Thank you, Lord, right? right? And so, you know, we have no plans to quit. Uh, we have no plans to stop. Uh, we have no plans to rent huge billboards uh, around the town to persuade people to attend. Uh, the Lord builds the church, and the Lord brings whom he will. And uh, our job is just to continue to be faithful and minister to all whom the Lord brings into this church for however long he brings them here. Uh, and in that, our grace should just be abundant, our faith should be apparent, and our love should be authentic. It tells us in Hebrews 3.13 that we should encourage one another daily, daily. In case you want to know how often that is, that's every day. 
right? As long as it is called today. When is it called today? Every day, right? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that involves fellowship. That involves getting to know people. And that's one of the things that's been our, a core part of our church is uh, fellowship. The understanding that we need to be involved in a body. We need to be part of each other's lives, right? We love Jesus. We love a sense of community. We love fellowship. We love to encourage and to be encouraged. We want to point people to Jesus. And for those who know Jesus, we want them to be complete and equipped for every good work and by drawing even closer to God. Probably want to know what's next for us as a church. It's been seven years, and in the last year, a lot of things have changed just because of the world that we live in and uh, the politics and everything else that's been going on. We've seen a lot of families who are part of this church that have moved out of state, and we have other families that are part of this church who are in the midst of moving. Um, and, you know, when we look at things like that, it can be somewhat discouraging, right? Why is everyone leaving? Lord, I want to leave too, right? Can I go? And he's like, no, you, you got to stay. But uh, uh, we're not, I honestly don't believe we're, we're uh, supposed to go anywhere. So, you know, if the Lord calls you somewhere, go, right? Get on your shoes, pack your bags and leave. Don't delay. If the Lord calls you somewhere, go. Um, but if he doesn't call you anywhere, don't just, don't go. Don't go for the sake of going just because. Um, but what's next for us as a church? And I just really wanted to touch on this really quick. Um, well, the days we live in are evil, right? And it's easy to forget that uh, because we, we just don't think of it all the time. We have other things going on. For example, this last week, the three families, we went on a trip to uh, Silverwood Theme Park up in Idaho, and we spent you know, three days there, uh, two days at Silverwood, one at Triple Play Fun Park, and uh, in 95-degree weather, um, which I didn't actually feel until the third day when we were at the water park, because uh, as soon as you walked in that water park, it was like a different dimension, and it just sucked the life right out of me instantly. And uh, But it's you don't think about what's... When you're in those moments, you don't think about everything else that's necessarily going on. So it's easy for us in those moments to not be focused on the depressing thought that we live in an evil world, right? And um, so, you know, th that was basically our first church youth retreat for the most part, right? And we all got along. So it was great. And... Uh, I mean, we talked about church stuff in between roller coasters and water slides. Um, but you spend a great week like that playing around like we did. You don't think about the world and everything else that's going on. The reality of evil seems far off. Uh, it seems remote. But it doesn't change the fact that, uh, that evil has existed since creation and, you know, and since Genesis chapter 3. Right? It's been corrupting and deceiving everyone. Uh, Psalms tells us in Psalm 90 verse 12 to teach us to number our days uh, so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So I think with that, that there is an uh, importance for us to understand it, the days in which we live, the times in which we live, and where we are right, in, in what's going on. Because I firmly believe we shouldn't be ignorant at all um, of the times that we're in. 
right? We need to be aware. We, I believe ignorance kills. I, I firmly believe that ignorance kills. Because um, as believers, we're told to, to be awake. We're told to be sober. We're told to be alert, right? We're, we're told not to sleep as others do, but to keep awake and be sober. You find that in First Thessalonians, right? So how do others sleep? Well, the others sleep, it's not physically talking about, you know, some people sleep really good. Um, this week, this last week, I didn't sleep so well. Uh, not to embarrass my son Hudson, but I, I noticed that he sleeps the same as he did when he was a little kid, right? When he was young and he'd sleep in our bed, I'd wake up with his feet on my face, right? And now he's 12 and he's almost as tall as I am and I wake up with his feet on my face. It's still exactly the same. It hasn't changed any, except he's taller, right? And, yeah. and, he's, and he's taller than Julie now, right? By two inches, easily. And I think that happened just last night. I'm not... Sure, when that growth spurt happened, but so it's it's not talking about physical sleep, right? It, it it's really talking about the, the fact that people are ignorant; they haven't woken up to Jesus. Right? Right? Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, as it says in Ephesians five. They haven't woken up; they're sleeping. But when you're in Christ, you should be awake; you should be risen from the dead. Right? Without Christ, you're ignorant, you're asleep, and you're dead which is not a place you want to be. And, and, and in reality, right, because when you're in that situation, you're, you're darkened um, in your understanding. You're alienated from a life with God, it tells us, right? And that's not a place we want people. It's not a place we want people. If we truly love our neighbors, we don't want them alienated from God. We don't want them darkened in their understanding. If we truly love those, that's not a place that we want them to be in. So as a church, I don't feel that my goal has changed any over the last seven years, right? I, I've, I'm, you know, the Lord is, you know, there's a lot of things you struggle with when you go to plant a church. There's a lot of things that you deal with, and, you know, because you immediately start comparing yourself to other churches, and you start comparing yourself to what's going on around you, and you're like, look at this. I mean, I mean you know, we planted this church around the same time that Ken Sutton planted City on the Hill, um, Calvary Chapel, up in Smoky Point, Actually, he planned it in Everett, and then he moved it to Smoky Point, and then he moved it back to Everett, and then he moved it to Smoky Point, and then he moved it to Arlington, and then he moved it back to Smoky Point. It got kind of confusing. But, but today is their last day. They're closing their doors, right? And all kinds of churches go through all kinds of things, and, and, uh, and, they're, and they're nothing nefarious. He's just going to retire, be a grandparent, right? That's what he wants to do. So you have all these different things that go on. Uh, and when you go to plant a church, you, you start, you know, I told you, I've told you a million times that we, when I first met with the View Church, for example, when we were going to rent a space for them, and I met Kyle, who's the pastor of uh, View Church, and, and he came in, he's like, well, we don't see many gray hairs planting churches, right? <laughs> and I'm like, who are you talking to, buddy? Right? It's like, you know, everyone has these, these, these different things, and you start comparing yourself, and the Lord taught me right away, he taught me really quickly, don't, don't do that. Right? Don't compare your church to other churches. Don't compare your calling to other callings. Don't do any of that comparison stuff because that's going to rob what I'm trying to do. Right? Let me do my work. You do what I've asked you to. And what he's asked me to do is to teach. Right? And so I don't feel my job has changed any. You know, I've, I've had this discussion many times, and if Pat were here, Pat would tell you how many times he's told me, I don't care if there's only one person there. If there's one person there, you're going to get up and speak, right? 
if we're live and, uh, and you know, I'm teaching and, and I'll get, uh, literally almost throw me off, you know, I'll get texts from Pat up here. It'll be like, preach it, right? You know, <laughs> capital letters, right? On my, on my phone, you know, amen, you know. At least I know he's listening. But the, I want us as a church, because of the days that we live in today, to be a church that's battle-ready. If anything's changed at all in, in my focus is the fact that we went from uh, what I would think was just like a real gentle kind of back and forth motion to a crazy chaotic, you know, like some of the water slides we went down. Just, you know, throwing you back and forth and everything happening so fast and on top of each other. When we, when we refer to as, as the days before the, you know, the end times before the tribulation, before the coming of the Lord as birth pains, those birth pains have gotten so quick and closer together now that I'm, I'm expecting the birth, right? It's like, and when's it going to happen? It's like, you know, any time, right? We don't know the day or the hour. Rapture is going to happen any second. I want us to be battle ready. I want us to be rapture ready. I designed a little shirt that said rapture ready. One of these days I'm going to get it printed. We can all have our own rapture ready shirts. You know, Ephesians 6.13 tells us that we should take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. I want us to be a church that's standing firm. I don't care about numbers. I don't. It's not that. It's, it's about making sure that we're ready, right? To make, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different areas. We've all had different experiences in churches, some good, some bad, right? But we're all here. The Lord brought us all here for a reason, right? And so it's my job, I guess, for lack of a better word, my calling, to just get us ready and to make sure we're ready and to make sure you're aware of the times that we live in. So if anything's changed in my focus, it's just, cha- it's just changing to make sure that I will make you aware of where we are and the times in which we live. I'm not going to gloss over things. And I, and, you know, I will call things as they are so you understand um, the days that we live in, right? Because Satan, what he wants to do is he wants to deceive you and he wants to disarm you. He wants to blind you to the truth. He wants to blind you to the fact that this is war, that this is life during wartime. C.S. Lewis wrote, he actually gave this um, sermon at the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin in Oxford. He gave it in 1939 around the time that World War II was, you know, in the midst of going on. And uh, he was talking about war, and he was addressing the issue of fear. The title of his sermon was called Learning in Wartime. And he was talking about fear. He says, the third enemy is fear concerning war. He says, war threatens us with death and pain. No man, and specifically no Christian, who remembers Gethsemane, need try to attain a stoic indifference about these things, but we can guard against the illusions of the imagination. We think of the streets of Warsaw and contrast the deaths there suffered with an abstraction called life. But there is no question of death or life for any of us. Only a question of this death or of that, of a machine gun bullet now or a cancer 40 years later. What does war do to death? It certainly does not make it more frequent. 100% of us die. Right? And the percentage cannot be increased. It puts several deaths earlier, but I hardly suppose that it is what we fear. Certainly when the moment comes, it will make little difference how many years we have behind us. 
Does it increase our chance of a painful death, he says? I doubt it. And he continues on and he says this, yet war does do something to death. It forces us to remember it. Right? The only reason why the cancer at 60 or the paralysis at 75 does not bother us is that we forget them. War makes death real to us, and that would have been regarded as one of its blessings by most of the great Christians of the past. They thought it was good for us to always be aware of our mortality. I am inclined to think that they were right. He says, we see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living, and we must come to terms with it. If we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we looked for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city, satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned and not a moment too soon. But if we thought that for some souls and at some times the life of learning humbly offered to God was in its own small way one of the appointed approaches to the divine reality and the divine beauty which we hope to enjoy hereafter, we can think so still. And I think what's honest about that is that it's a mentality that we need to understand, right? Because what is C.S. Lewis saying? He is saying that war forces people to remember death and that we are wise if we come to those terms now, if we understand death for what it is and the reality of it. As Christians, we live in the hope of the resurrection. So we should be remembering that the shortness of life that we aren't guaranteed tomorrow, but yet we should be thankful for each day that God has given us, right? Because he, he wants us to, to seek living, you know, fruitful lives for the glory of God in every moment that we have. So how do we do that during wartime when our in natural instinct is to run and hide, right? Is to duck for cover? Is, you know crouch down and hope we don't get noticed, right? How do we do that during wartime? Well, guess what? God has given us weapons to fight, right? It tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 that for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What weapons has he given us? He's given us the word of God. He's given us the armor of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? He's given us prayer. I mean, we can go through all these things. And God has given it to us so that we have the weapons of warfare. It's a divine power that can destroy strongholds. Guess what? That's on our side. Right? That's with us. So we as a church and individually as well, we need to be living and sleeping in the armor of God. Right? Wear it day and night to work, to the grocery store, to Starbucks. Wear it to the bathroom. Right? Don't ever take it off. Stand firm in your faith. Don't be tossed back and forth. Right? Hebrews 10.25 says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know, that's one of the verses of our church that I picked out a long time ago. One of the things I wanted us to do as a church was to be able to spur one another on right, to love and good, the love and good deeds. Uh, how do you do that? Well, in the next verse it says how you do that. It says, not neglecting to meet together. Right, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what this morning is. 
I wanted this to be a time of encouragement for us to be encouraged and to encourage. Because I believe, personally, that we have crossed a line of no return. In the sense that we are so close to the rapture. right? We are so close to the tribulation. We are so close that these events are going to start unfolding. And as we get closer to that day drawing near, we need to be spurring one another on to love and good deeds and encouraging one another. And we do that by not neglecting to meet. That we continue to fellowship with each other as often as we can. That doesn't mean just here on Sundays either. Which is great about you guys is that you, for the most part, all hang out. You know, my parents hang out with Jim and Marie and they go on, you know, the, the fairs and these different things. And, you know, we, we, you know, Eddie and I, Eddie's not here so I can kind of pick on him. But, he's, you know, I think he's working. Um, you know, go over and visit Peter, or we go visit my dad on Thursdays for Bible study. Sometimes we get around to studying it. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and Stephen, talk about an encouragement. I mean, right now, probably because I'm speaking about him, his ears are burning and he's driving his truck off the road. But, but he, can't, he can't hear me, so we're probably pretty safe. But Stephen, on his own time, has spent so much time over helping Peter and Lorelai you guys don't even know the half of it, right? And no one told him to go do that. I never went to Stephen and said, you get your butt over there and help Peter right now, right? But Stephen just did it. And that's something I, you know, it's kind of a side note about gifts and gifting. Is that one of the things I've always wanted to do is to give people the opportunity to use them. Because one of the things, when we're talking about difference between small churches and big churches, etc., um, Sorry that we're, it's, well, the food's downstairs. Don't worry, guys. You'll get there. Um, the, uh, you know, in big churches, it's hard sometimes to get an opportunity. You would think that there's more opportunities. There isn't necessarily. Uh, and, and then they also sometimes have to think, well, I, mean, I don't know if you're qualified to use your gifting here, right? And so, you know, they, they have these steps and processes and stuff like that. And by the time you get through, you're like, I don't even want to help anymore, right? But here I've always just been like, well, you, you want to do what? Do it, right? And I, I don't want to twist people's arms. I just want people, you know, I feel like we should do this. People like to come up and I feel like we should do this. I feel like you should do that, right? It's, if God puts it on your heart, do it, right? You don't need to ask my permission because God put it on your heart. There's many ways to use your giftings, right? It's better for 10 people, right, to do the work than one person to do the work of 10, it helps. But we need to encourage each other. Not neglecting to meet together. You know, in the NIV it says, uh, not giving up is what it says. And that's what we do when we get discouraged. That's what we do when we read the news. That's what we do when we look outside. We give up. I'm just, you know, I just give up. But it says, don't give up. We want to give up. We want to give up because life sucks, right? We want to give up because life is hard, because inflation is at the highest it's ever been in like 40 years, because all our leaders are corrupt, including the commander-in-chief and on down, right? We want to give up because we look at what's going on out there, and immorality is running rampant because public education systems become accessible and a hunting ground for grooming children and sexual child abuse. You know how many teachers have been arrested in the last year? 
something like 200. And you hadn't seen that in the previous years. Right? But the public edu education system has opened their doors, basically, to people with nefarious backgrounds. And we look at all this stuff and we're like, Satan is seemingly working all things to his corrupted and diseased favor. And so we just want to give up. But we're not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. Well, I don't expect you to either. Because the Lord's still in control. Right? He's still on his throne. So what's next for us as a church? Well, nothing changes. Right? We'll continue to cast our nets into deeper waters. I'm going to continue to te teach the truth in love. Even during times when it seems that we've lost our appetite for truth. And we just want to believe the lies because it seems easier. We're going to get less flack about it. Right? People will come to my work, you know, my, where I work at Kenmark Hammer, I'm, I'm like the, uh, you know, the, what do they call it? The water cooler, right? I'm like the little, you know, the conversation area where everyone hangs out by the water cooler and get a drink. There's no water cooler, by the way, by my desk. That's metaphorically speaking or whatever, you know, but, but people come back to me to want to talk about things, about what's going on. We can go talk to Rich. One of the reasons they want to talk to me is that they know I'm not going to give them any flack. I'm just going to I'm going to let them talk, and I'm not going to make fun of them or yell at them if they have a different thing. But, but I will speak exactly what I believe, and I will tell them the truth. So when they ask my opinion about something, I always, before I answer, say the same thing. Are you sure you want to know? <laughs> right? Because my opinion's probably not going to be your opinion. As long as you want to know, I'll tell you. But that's been an opportunity for a lot of great conversations with people. Right? And it's going to be the thing, you know, for you as well. Because we live in a world today where people don't want to hear the truth. They just, they just want to agree with whatever they're told is the truth. They don't want to, you know, it's John Adams who said, facts are stubborn things. They are. The truth is, I mean, there is a truth. Today, a lot of people are willfully blind. So I will continue to, to teach and preach that Jesus Christ could return at any moment for his church. And that we need to be dressed and ready. Right? The challenge for you, the challenge for me, the challenge for our church is to see God work in our lives as we persevere through what will be difficult times, maybe even some of the most difficult times that we've ever gone through. Because as it was alluded to, I think, by Dale, some of the persecution that's happening in other countries, the way that they view Christianity... Uh, that we have never faced in the United States um, is going to start happening here, right? I have no doubt about it. But as we face these challenges in our lives through these times, right, and people will see how God works through us during those times, uh, when he, the miracles that he does in our lives during those times, it allows us to testify about the truth of Jesus. It allows us to be a light. It allows us to point others to Jesus, right? And your labor will not be in vain because right? it might seem like it's going to be very laborious, right? Because your endurance brings faith because it's God's faithfulness that makes your faith even possible. Right? Your labor will not be in vain. So that's our challenge. 
to persevere through these challenging times that are coming our way, because I believe they are, but to persevere in such a way that we testify to the greatness of God. Amen? Let's pray.